0: You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com.
1: If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's
2: nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast.
3: I guess I have some words to eat. And words aren't my favorite things to eat. I prefer cupcakes and cock. And not necessarily in that order. Uh, not necessarily one at a time either. You can totally incorporate uh, cupcakes there. Never mind. Anyway, Anthony Weiner resigned last week, as everyone knows. Uh, really hounded out of Congress by the President of the United States, by Nancy Pelosi, by Harry Reid, by uh, Republicans who insisted that he – had to go even though David Vitter, who was, of course, fucking prostitutes who were putting him in diapers, allegedly uh, – not the fucking prostitutes allegedly, just the diaper thing is this rumor that kicks around that uh, Vitter hasn't really sued anybody about yet, so I'm taking that as a confirmation of sorts. But allegedly diapered by hookers. He's still a senator. In fact, uh, a family values crusader who was reelected by the family values conservative brigades down there in Louisiana. Anyway, he's still a senator and no one's calling for him to uh, – resign because, as Rachel Maddow has pointed out over and over and over again during the whole Weinergate scandal, it's okay if you're a Republican. It is okay to break the law, cheat on your spouse, bang hookers uh, if you're a Republican. It is not okay to flirt online, break no laws, break no vows, even if you did, as we now know, piss off your wife. Not okay if you're a Democrat. And I predicted in Savage Love that I thought Wiener was going to beat this thing. And yes, that was intentional, that little single entendre. A million people wrote to me asking me if I meant to uh, make a dirty joke. And yes, of course I did. That was the lowest hanging fruit, I believe, in the whole Wienergate scandal. Anyway, uh, I I predicted he would beat this thing, you know, that we were going to see. I'll just read from my column. Watching Wiener get unfold is like watching the voters getting over politicians who've smoked pot thing play out all over again, only this time at warp speed with sexting standing in for THC. With pot, we went from exposure resulting in instantaneous resignation in 87, Supreme Court nominee Douglas Ginsburg, to a tacit admission being a survivable mini scandal in 92, Bill smoked but didn't inhale Clinton, to a collective shrug in 2008, Barack, I got high, Obama. And I went on, with dirty poll picks, we've gone from instant resignation in February 2011, Representative Christopher Craigslist, Congressman Lee, to a tacit admission looking like a survivable mini-scandal in June 2001 or 2011, Representative Anthony beat this thing, Wiener. At this rate, I concluded, we'll be shrugging off the dirty picks of a representative to be determined sometime before Labor Day. Well, that did not come to pass, Wiener is out, because he tweeted... His dirty pics out there. And apparently, National Enquirer has a picture of him in ladies' underwear. And all of this sex panic about what really is I don't want to say normal or average because not everybody's doing it, but the poll show that he, millions of Americans, the data shows, millions of Americans are flirting online, using the porn production studios known as their telephones in their pockets all the time. Uh, to flirt, not just minors, everyone like freaks out about kids sexting. Most people who are out there sexting are actually adults like Anthony Weiner. But we've had this moral panic now and we've established this marker. We've, uh, we've drawn a line and said you cannot serve in Congress for the time being if you've sent pictures of your junk out uh, via text or sexted or online or tweeted them or emailed them around. And this is a dangerous precedent because everybody is doing this. Particularly ambitious people are doing this. People who want to be noticed socially, politically, people who want to get ahead tend to be kind of uh, in it a little bit for the sexual attention too. They're needy people. And so what we're saying is really going forward, no one can be in Congress Who's tweeted a dirty pic, which really means that in 20 years, no one can be in Congress but the Amish. Because everybody right now who's 17, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, all college students, their junk is online. They live their lives online. They socialize online. They listen to music online. They flirt. They fuck. They sext. They Skype. Dirty Skyping online. Everyone is leaving a digital trail, a digital snail trail of their sexual exploits. Like I said last week, and all and we're and I kinda hoped that the whole Wiener thing that he would tough it out, he would survive it, and then all you know, Congress would be safe then for, you know, the coming generations of Americans who all have digital skeletons in their digital closets. But it'll have to be somebody else. And it will be somebody else I predict before the end of the year, if we won't be shrugging off the next Congressman dirty pick. Sex scandal. We will be enduring the next congressman dirty pick sex scandal. And here's hoping it's a lady the next time who did it. Because one of the things that's been very annoying about the whole wienergate Gate imbroglio is the suggestion that women don't sext, flirt, cheat, commit adultery, think about it. They do, they do, they do. Your calls after this.
0: Fire TV is the ultimate adult video experience with over 15,000 movies featuring all your favorite stars. Find your perfect scene and watch it on your TV, computer, phone, or tablet. Go to FireTV.com now and sign up for free to see the world's hottest girls in the world's hottest films. That's F Y R E TV.com.
3: This episode is brought to you by AdamAndEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout.
4: Hey, Dan. Uh, I'm just calling because I was curious uh, your thoughts on the media with this whole Wiener thing, because you know, I'm, I'm reading all these articles, and I keep on using very harsh words for the congressman now, perverted... Um, and, uh, you know, this whole thing about him wearing women's lingerie when he's, uh, when he was in college, which I don't know who hasn't, but that's fine. Um, you know, it's just being described as bizarre. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if this is a healthy thing for our society to say that someone when they're 18 experimenting at a college party wearing women's lingerie is bizarre. Um, and, and, and is it, An indication that we're actually having these extremely normative values. I mean, look, I I don't think that I personally don't think it's a good thing for him to be doing that while he's married. But before he's married, if it's consensual, I mean, is there anything really wrong with that? That's, I guess, my question for you. Um, And 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 what does it indicate about society if these if these different um, if these descriptions of 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 Weiner? Are 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 really negative. Um, if you read the New York Post, I mean, it's just it makes me feel bad for people who uh, who did, uh, you know, crash us, you know, in college. Like, what's what's the problem with them?
3: Spoken like a young man who wants to go into politics and is worried about what stray photographs of him at college parties might be out there. Look, we're going through a full fledged moral panic, sex panic, about this incident, and. It's going to burn bright, and it's going to burn hot, and then it's going to burn out. And people next time are going to wonder what the fuck the fuss was about. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there who you know goof off at college parties and put on women's underwear. And you know now that Weiner has been declared, you know the the king pervert of the universe. Innocent acts, anything uh, that exists out there that can be spun as pervy will be spun as pervy. He had an innocent internet exchange with a 17 year old constituent. And that was people flipped out because, oh, my God, the perv congressman is talking to a minor as if somebody who has sex with and flirts with adult women can't shift gears when they're talking to a minor. That you're allowed to talk to minors or you're allowed to fuck adult women or want to fuck adult women, but you can't do both. You have to pick one or the other. You can't compartmentalize. It's just maddening. And the media has been Despicable, Because you know these reporters and editors and photographers and cameramen, everybody involved at every step of the way in cranking the sex panic up to 11, it has sex, flirts online. I I wish we could get the names of the reporters at these events who are asking the most asinine questions at Wiener's Two press conferences. And sick anonymous on them. Let's dig into their email accounts. Let's dig into their Twitter feeds and their private exchanges with other consenting adults, and see what evidence that we can find that they're all perps. Particularly the New York Fucking Post. The New York Post is always railing about gays. They editorialized against gay marriage uh, this week in New York. Always railing about you know kinky people and SMers and uh, slamming uh, you know transvestites and slamming now Wiener for his perversion. What do you want to bet that there's a whole bunch of people who work at the New York Post who have ads up on kinky websites or sexual interests that involve something more than missionary, matrimonial, vaginal? I think scores of them. And if Wiener's sexual history going all the way back to college and innocent, pranky, cross-dressing, fun-having can be dragged out into the public arena and labeled as perversion and he can be slimed and beaten to death, why not the editors of the New York Post?
5: Hi, um, I'm a 21-year-old female, straight identified, and I'm dating my best friend who had a cancer relapse a month into our relationship. We've been friends for over a year, and we kept getting closer and closer, and our first month together was amazing in every potential way. I have never felt more loved and accepted and had so much fun with another human being. And I know that he felt the same way. But after surgery, he had testicular cancer. And after surgery, he said that his, well, I noticed him withdrawing from me, distancing himself, um, verbally and physically. And it was painful because I wanted to be there for him because I, I love him and I have for a really long time. He has said to me that his feelings have disappeared. He doesn't know where they are. He doesn't know if they're going to come back. He's scared about it. He wants them to be there. Should I be overly concerned? Should anyone in this position um, be as supportive and as loving as they normally would be? Should I give him space? I just really want to know what your view is on this.
3: I don't mean to be too harsh or anything, uh, but let's remember who has cancer here, and it's him, not you. And he's the one who's really suffering. And sometimes when people stare down their mortality and they face up to something as life-altering and potentially life-ending as cancer, they look at the shit in their lives. I'm not calling you shit. But they look at the stuff, the things in their life, the, their career choice, their relationship, where they're living, what they're doing. And they decide perhaps that this isn't what they want really, that they were you know, coasting along – on the assumption that they were going to live forever and so they weren't facing up to any difficult choices they might have sort of subconsciously been aware uh, of a need to make. There are a lot of people who when they get cancer quit jobs they hated or felt indifferent about or could take or leave and end relationships that they could take or leave. It forces the question. That could be why he's distancing himself from you. I would say that's likely the reason he's distancing himself from you because when you go through a major life crisis like that and you allow someone to dedicate their life for however long to really taking care of you, you're making an implicit commitment to be with that person after your life crisis is over. and He may not be able to say right now that that's what he wants and he may not want to let you in for fear of hurting you by allowing – you You to make an assumption about his intention should he beat this thing to be with you forever because of the sacrifices you made uh, at a time in his life when he was going through something harsh. So you just got to respect his process and you have to respect that at the end of this, he may decide that this relationship, that however wonderful it was, however much you loved him, however much he loved you, isn't what he wanted for the rest of his life, however long that should be.
0: Fire TV is the ultimate adult video experience with over 15,000 movies featuring all your favorite stars like Sasha Gray, Brie Olson, Alexis Texas, Tori Black, and more. Find your perfect scene and watch it on your TV, computer, phone, or tablet. Membership is totally free, and all new members also get the Fire TV exclusive Wealth and Deception in their library as a bonus for joining. Go to FireTV.com now to see the world's hottest girls and the world's hottest films. That's F-Y-R-E-TV.com.
2: Hey, Dan. Uh, my wife, um, trying to get her, well, most recently I asked if she would wear a garter belt and uh, she feels that women's lingerie is sort of a sexist, power-laden way for um, men to sort of trivialize women and make them little play objects, you know, a la the bows and little things to dress up in, and that she said she would be happy to wear it um, if I would wear something similar, if there was a men's version of lingerie. and seems like men's lingerie is sort of more of a joke, at least in the heterosexual community, the sort of like Chippendales and kind of, you know, banana hammocks. Um, but I was wondering, she said, well, ask Dan Savage. Maybe there are, you know, men's lingerie out there and that she would consider wearing lingerie herself if there is a male equivalent to it. So um, please tell me if there are male equivalents to lingerie. I mean, I can see stuff online, but really, is there really... Lingerie that men wear around for other men um, or for women? Is that a regular thing?
3: Of course there's – I would call it lingerie. Fetish gear is what they call it when dudes wear it. I would encourage you to go to slickitup.com where you will find sexy jeans and shirts and harnesses and sleeves and hoods and all sorts of compelling crapola. Uh, You know, female fetish gear tends to be hyper-feminine and to accentuate, you know, lacy and uh, delicate. And male fetish gear, uh, when it's not that Chippendales, we're sort of trying to make lingerie for dudes mistake, emphasizes sort of hyper-masculinity and aggression. And to help you with this new shopping experience, Slick It Up actually sells Complete packages. You can get the armed guard look, the gladiator look, the butcher look, because there's nothing, nothing sexier than a butcher. The uh, Roman centurion look, which comes with chaps and leather look jock and leather look gauntlets and flex fit harness and an armband. Your shopping's all done for you uh, at slickitup.com. And they aren't advertisers. I'm not just kissing uh, ass here, but hope oh, maybe they will be by next week because uh, they make a fine product line. And if they want to send me a sample package, I would welcome it.
5: Hi Dan,
6: I am calling because I have a friend who's causing me a little bit of trouble. Um, this friend is someone I've known for a really long time. Um, I'm in my mid twenties, and I met him when we were both sort of at the end of high school. Um, and we, when we met, we we started like kind of just mildly dating, like we never had any sort of serious relationship. But we were sort of romantically involved when we first became friends, and then after that. We just stayed friends for a long time. Um, we live pretty—we live like I don't know, 600 miles away from each other, so we don't see each other that often. Um, but we've stayed in touch over the years and have remained pretty close. Um, and if we, you know, we always kind of have like sort of a flirting relationship. Um, and you know, when both of us are single and we happen to be in the same place, we hook up. But. You know, we don't see each other that often, and often one or the other of us is in a relationship, so um, it doesn't happen that often, and we're pretty good at staying just just platonic friends, you know, when one of us is attached, um, at least until recently. Recently, that's sort of changed. Um, I'm currently single, but he's currently in a relationship, and um, the just the sort of the tone of our friendship has changed recently. We've been flirting a lot more and you know this is all sort of like on the phone over email that kind of thing since we don't we live far apart but um we sort of like flirted online and like sent sort of racy messages to each other um I imagine his girlfriend would probably not want him to be doing if she knew um he's hasn't been with this girl very long he says he doesn't like her that much like he's not that into this relationship I've encouraged him to break up with her um and he doesn't want to for a variety of reasons. Like they share a lot of the same friends and he doesn't want it to be awkward and that kind of thing, like stupid reasons like that. But it seems like he's not going to break up with her. Um, and I guess my question is just how, how guilty should I feel? How much of this is me sort of helping him be a sleazebag to her? I mean, I, I know it's kind of that, but I'm into it. He's into it. Um, I'm not betraying anyone since I, I'm not attached. I don't know this girl from what he's told me about her. She doesn't seem that awesome. Um, But I also, you know, he made a commitment to her and he's kind of being a little bit of a sleeve bag to her by, you know, flirting with me and like telling me sexy things online. I don't really want to stop since I like this guy and I have fun flirting with him, but I also feel guilty. <laughs> and I guess I'm just wondering what your take is. Um, is this my responsibility? Is this my problem to sort of be the one to say I stopped for a while. You know, for a while I told him like, you know, this is gonna stop until you break up with your girlfriend. And he respected that for a while. And then like, he kind of started up again and I let him start up again. Um because I like it and it's fun. But I'm just wondering how much of this is my responsibility to sort of put an end to because I know it's wrong versus saying, you know, it's his problem. It's his relationship. I have nothing to do with that.
3: As we've seen with Anthony Weiner, there are men out there who genuinely love their wives, their girlfriends, but who want attention from more than one woman. If not, you know, actual physical contact, at least sexual attention, sexual acknowledgement. They want the You know, that jazzy feeling that getting a flirty email or having a flirty IM exchange with a hot woman gives them even if they have no intention of following through. That could be what he wants from you. Why is he slagging off his girlfriend? though? Well, a lot of women somehow find that less sympathetic than a guy saying, my wife's a bitch, a cotton horn, I hate her, my relationship sucks and I really, really, really need you because I'm not getting it at home or I'm not getting the right kind of attention at home and boo-hoo-hoo, feel sorry for me. That could be what's going on here. He could be lying to you about how he feels about his girlfriend. Setting all that aside, if flirting with this guy while he has a girlfriend makes you feel bad, don't do it. If, and if you enjoy it so much that you're going to flirt with him anyway despite the fact that he has a girlfriend, have the decency to stop pretending that it really bothers you all that much. Shut up about it. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter savage at checkout.
5: Hey, Dan, I am a single, straight woman in Central Florida, longtime time listener, love your show. I have a question. I'm wondering whether it is PC or okay to make love loudly when there's someone in the other room that's crashing at your plate because we all got really hammered and high. And yeah, so it wasn't really a planned thing, and so house guests other room. She's probably passed out. I'm just curious whether, you know, it's cool because it's my house and she just happens to be hanging out here because we did a little too much of whatever the night before. Can I be loud? Is that my right? I would like to know.
3: You can be loud so long as you don't give a shit that your house guest overhears you. It's your house. If you give a shit that he overhears you or she overhears you, then be quiet. Sometimes it can be fun to you know, impose some sort of outside limitation like, we're going to fuck, but we have to be really quiet because someone's in the next room, even if you don't give a shit that they hear. But it's okay. It's your place. You can be as loud as the fuck you want when you're making love. Knock yourselves out.
1: Uh, hi, Dan. I'm calling on behalf of a group of five friends who are currently sitting around on the couch, and we're, we're laughing quite a bit. But we were wondering if there was such a sexual act as smothering. Because the Wikipedia article on face-sitting defines the act as a sexual practice in which one partner sits on or over the other's face, typically to allow or force oral genital or oral anal contact. But um, I was just wondering if there's anything potentially sexual about just sitting on someone's face, literally sitting, nothing
4: else, no lingus of any kind. Thanks for your input. By the way, this question came up as a result of something the cat was doing. Our cat likes to sit on people's faces, and we were wondering if there's anything sexual about that.
3: I hope there's nothing sexual about that. Uh, presumably, there's nothing sexual for the cat. If there's something sexual for you, you have a problem. So does the cat, probably in the end. Look, uh, yeah, that's an actual thing, smothering, sometimes called queening. Uh, it's a kink that a lot of people into BBWs enjoy, big, beautiful women, where she sits her, you know, big, beautiful ass down on your face and you can barely breathe because there's so much, so many wonderful cascading rolls of very delicious flash sort of blotting out the sun and the oxygen and the light. Some people like that. It's it is perhaps the only kind of breath play that I could endorse because unless that person who's being queened or sat upon is uh, you know, immobilized in some way, it's pretty easy to struggle out from under somebody when you need that <laughs> that breath of fresh air and that glimpse of sunlight. But yeah, it's a real thing, smothering queening uh, a lot of kinky straight boys are into it
7: hi dan <clears throat> i'm calling because um i have a question um, about a guy that i just started seeing maybe a week ago um i just kind of met him in a bar so i did not really know him or any of his friends and um and we're kind of in different circles and um and so we started seeing each other and i say it was good um but at the same time I felt like it went a little bit faster than I meant it to. I mean, we didn't have sex or anything, but like we ended up coming back to my place. I ended up getting kind of drunker than I meant to, which like, not, like both of those things are kind of like my decisions. But, um, I don't know. I guess I just got this feeling. he was like a little bit pushy. I mean, I was complicit, but, um, we just kind of, I don't know, like kind of whipped this junk out and like, um, you know, and just kind of started like, you know, trying to get me to do stuff. And, you know, I wasn't, ready to do all of the stuff that he wanted to do so um, anyway that happened and then I saw him again like I kind of got drunk like late at night and I got like really horny and I started texting him and I told him to come over and he came over and I was like, really drunk and we just ended up like having sex um, and it was fun it was good like I'm really attracted to him and like he's like he's he seems like a nice guy but like I'm kind of getting the feeling that he's not exactly like 100% um, I guess respectful of my boundaries and I don't know whether I need to see this as like a red flag um, that he's going to get like aggressive in in a way that's going to potentially harm me or um, if this is just like bad manners and I just need to kind of set him straight uh, obviously you know I guess I mean um, I'm calling because I get this kind of gut feeling that maybe that should be something to worry about I, I just don't know like how to to um to tell this one and uh I would like your help.
3: I don't like to just generally endorse the idea that you got to trust your gut cuz some people have a, you know, a bad gut feeling about everybody. If you don't have a bad gut feeling about all the guys you date or have ever been with, uh but you do about this guy, trust your gut. In that instance, you need to trust your gut. You know, he whipped his junk out. You're only a week into this thing. You've had two encounters with him. Both left you feeling uncomfortable and unsure about who he is. You don't know any of his friends. And that's sometimes a bad thing because, you know, he may have it in his head that there's really no accountability here because he's not going to get in trouble with any of your mutual friends. It's not going to cost him any of his other relationships, if he pushes too hard, uh, pushes you too hard to get what he wants. It sounds like you're really attracted to this guy uh, and I'm going to infer that he's hot. You don't want to make the mistake that folks will often make when they're dealing with somebody who is really attractive or even you know, out of our league. You don't want to make allowances for his bad behavior just because he's hot. You don't want to grade people on that particular curve. Uh, you know, Beauty is power and sometimes people who are really beautiful intentionally or not intentionally manipulate the people around them into deferring to their wishes just because they're so spectacularly gorgeous. Uh, so if you find yourself when you're with this guy allowing him to get away with stuff or making allowances for shit that he's doing that you wouldn't make – for other people that you wouldn't let other people get away with trust your gut send him packing no more drunk dialing no more middle of the night sexting masturbate instead okay we're going to take a quick break from your calls and uh, bring in an author Augie August who is the uh, one of the co-author of a billion wicked thoughts what the world's largest experiment reveals about human desire uh, which he wrote with Sai Gadam Uh, thanks for joining us Augie
1: It's a real pleasure to be
3: here. I'm a big fan. Oh, and I think I'm a big fan of your book. I'm about 100 pages into it. I'm still uh, plowing my way through it. I'm uh, I'm a slow reader, particularly these days with the Internet to distract me. And the Internet is a big distraction, as you found for many people. Tell us about the experiment and uh, and the book.
1: So we wanted to... uh, I I should first say I'm a computational neuroscientist, which means I view the mind as software. So most people in my field try to figure out the brain software behind the higher functions of the brain, like memory, language, and vision. But we thought we could take these techniques and tools from computational neuroscience and take a look at some of the lower functions of the brain, in particular sexual desire, which is not something people in my field have really taken a look at before. So we thought to do this, we need uh, a big data set, and we realized that the Internet provides a huge mountain of sexual data that's been completely untapped by science. And so, our process was to get our hands a hold of as much sexual behavioral data from the internet as we could.
3: And how did you do that?
1: We looked at more than a billion uh, online web searches. We looked at search histories. We downloaded uh, more than a million erotic stories, a half million erotic videos. We looked at online personal ads. We looked at searches on specific uh, uh, porn sites. Uh, Basically, any kind of data we could get our hands on, uh, OKCupid, uh, a popular uh, dating site, uh, was kind enough to share uh, um, data on about 6 million of their users. So we we, we looked at all of these different kinds of online behavioral data in order to try to figure out what do men and women truly like.
3: And what did you find? I want you to sum it up in 20 words. All those billions of searches and millions (laughs) of data points, just sum it all up, 20 words.
1: The, the, the quickest summary is men and women are even more different than you'd think, and straight and gay guys are even more similar uh, than you'd think. That's, uh, that's the, sh- the briefest summary of our findings.
3: And give us some data points. Like, there, there's a lot in this book that's making headlines.
1: Sure. So w- there was a lot of surprises. Uh, and I should say first that uh, you might be surprised to hear that science has never taken a comprehensive, systematic look at what turns people on since Alfred Kinsey in the 1940s and 1950s. So it's been more than 50 years since there's been a scientific study to actually try to figure out what do men and women actually like.
3: And the, the uh, hang-up to that, the hang up for that, though, is that it's, it's hard to get people to be honest about that. You, you, know, you sit down with Alfred Kinsey, he's looking at you saying, tell me what turns you on. And there's the things that turn us on, and then there are the things we will admit to someone else turn us on.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if there's a guy sitting across from you and, you know, you're secretly looking at uh, Doberman Pinschers, uh, you're just most likely not going to be willing to admit that no matter how uh, credentialed the scientist is sitting across from you. So that's exactly right. Alfred Kinsey did surveys, so he talked to people face-to-face. Uh, also, it was not a random sample. He, it was a convenient sample. It was just pil- people that were convenient for him to find and were willing to talk to him. It was mainly middle-class Caucasians, uh, primarily in the Northeast and Midwest. And But nevertheless, uh, 18,000 people, uh, it was... By far the biggest sex study done uh, up to that point. And amazingly, nobody's followed that up. That's been the only source of solid scientific data on what turns people on. But now, because of the Internet, we can see what tens of millions, what hundreds of millions of people all around the world are actually searching for, paying money for to see. Uh, and actually doing online.
3: And, and uh, you know, one of the criticisms, though, is the Internet isn't going to provide necessarily a representative sample. You know, if somebody has more mainstream or predictable desires, they're really not going to have to go hunting for the shit that turns them on. You know, go to a, going to a search engine, looking around, digging, sort of presumes that, you know, the things that turn you on aren't just easily and readily available, that you got to go look for them.
1: So we used multiple kinds of online data. So that's, that's a very reasonable... Uh, Potential criticism is that if we're just looking at web searches, maybe what people are actually searching for aren't, isn't actually representative of what actually turns them on. So very reasonable criticism, but we use multiple kinds of data. We look at what people pay money for. We, we got hold of uh, uh, some credit card data. Again, let me, I mean, let me say that all the data we have is completely anonymous. We had no access to anybody's name or any identifying information. Um, but we were able to get some summary statistics. Okay, but wait
3: a, wait a, wait a second. How many pictures of Anthony Weiner are you sitting on right now?
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, Weiner, you know, I, I agree with your uh, – I, I, I listened to your last podcast about Weiner, and I absolutely agree that uh, I think people are overreacting to um, – I, I think his behavior is entirely natural and common. doesn't mean it's a sensible behavior. It's, it's poor judgment. But uh, the fact that he was you know, so interested in showing his Weiner – uh, very, very common behavior uh, that we can see on the Internet. It just it seems to be something uh, that a lot of men are hardwired to do, which is you know desire to show uh, your penis, uh, in addition to, of course, just trying to hit on women and using any method at your disposal to do that. Uh, but as we've uh, seen now,
3: poor judgment disqualifies you from sitting in Congress when it comes to dick pics, not when it comes to taxes, not when it comes to war, not when it comes to anything else but dick pics. Poor judgment, you're out. Anyway, go ahead.
1: So um, – Let's see, where was it? Well, maybe I could talk a little bit about some of the uh, surprising findings that we had.
3: Yeah, we'd love to had, hear uh, about uh, it. We love yeah. the unique and the weird here on the podcast.
1: Well, let me give you some of the, some of the big surprises. Let's start with male desires. So uh, here's a few of the things that surprised us, at least, about what men are actually looking for online. One is that it turns out that men prefer overweight women to underweight women. So we're talking about straight guys at the, at the moment. Uh, that if a guy has a choice between a woman with a few extra pounds or a woman with a few less pounds most men will choose a woman with a few extra pounds so this goes against the idea that a lot of women have seeing skinny models underweight models on uh, women's magazines when you look at what men are actually doing in the privacy of their laptops they very often choose heavier women uh, another surprise is that
3: so why do uh, all men agree in public though for public consumption that they prefer skinnier women is it just I think a-
1: is just it, it's it's there's a cultural stigma against uh, heavier women uh, I, I the, that, the same stigma that women feel you know guys feel a little bit of embarrassment about talking about that too, but when we look at the numbers, just there 's huge amount of interest in heavy women uh, there 's just huge numbers of what are called BBw sites, big beautiful women sites, uh, porn sites very popular, many many commercially successful sites, far more uh, far more commercially successful sites devoted to heavy women than devoted to skinny women uh, but let me clarify one thing I, I, I say this in uh, a lot of men say, but, you know, I like, I like natural-weight women, and that's, and that's true. Uh, men prefer healthy-weight women, if we define healthy weight uh, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, men prefer healthy-weight women the most. But if given the choice between someone that's heavier than a healthy weight or skinnier than a healthy weight, clearly men uh, overall prefer healthier-weight women.
3: And what are some of the other findings?
1: So no surprise that uh, men, both gay and straight, prefer uh, youth. But what we did find that was surprising is just the level of interest in older women, women in their 40s, in their 50s, even in their 60s, extremely popular all around the world. In fact, there's a genre of pornography called granny porn, which is has its uh, large number of fans in just about every country we looked at, Japan, uh, Great Britain, Kenya, India, America, uh So guys, this completely goes against evolutionary uh, expectations, but there are plenty of men out there that are turned on by much older women.
3: So what is it, you know, just trying to back up and take the big picture, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, we should be trying to get our semen as close... As possible to eggs at all times and nothing else. But we see in the actual human sexual relationships, guys, you know, coming on kneecaps and hair and in noses and eardrums, and you know, gay guys coming in butts. And I, n- I realize that some part of my, you know, reptile brain is trying to get my husband pregnant uh, on some level. But what, what is it that this human, like, what is being accomplished with all this sort of sexual variety and diversity? Is it a social thing? Is it just that you know our reptile brains didn't know, you know, two hundred thousand years ago? Uh, about eggs necessarily, and it was just about throwing semen wherever you could and seeing if it stuck and made a baby. What's the deal? What, what, what is our, what, what's human sexuality, human sexuality trying to accomplish with this it's incredible sexual, sexual sort of question. complex and perplexing, uh, I don't want to say variety, just uh, this cacophony of human sexual interests and desires?
1: excellent question certainly that is, is probably the biggest question about human sexuality is this remarkable diversity and the apparent lack of evolutionary sense of a great number of these interests but the way it works is we have sexual software in our brain but the software is designed to work through a process that of cues. instead of having like a specific thing that says you're going to like women in order to for the brain to figure out what women is it's broken down into specific cues. for example men are aroused by anatomy. Now, anatomy if you're aroused by say a chest or butts uh or it turns out that another uh, very popular piece of anatomy is feet. Uh if you're aroused by specific body parts, most of the time those body parts are going to lead you to a woman. Uh so it, in most of our evolutionary history, let's say that you're attracted to curvy hips uh or a nice chest, most of the time that's going to end up landing you with a woman with a with a pre- reproductive partner. But we now live in a technologically advanced society, a very complica- complex society, and a very culturally diverse society. So these cues, these these uh, specific interests that used to most of the time work, uh, now are broken down into such specific uh, uh, discrete parts that often they result in fetishes. Uh, for example, there does seem to be very strong evidence that men are aroused by feet, so but in particular by smaller than average feet. But this. This biological predisposition can easily get uh, connected with women's shoes, for example, or with pantyhose. Uh, High heels and pantyhose didn't exist, you know, thousands of years ago, so that was an unlikely uh, error, you might say. But now because of just our richly complicated society, these basic interests can kind of get tricked and they can get fooled.
3: So the Uh, the complexity and diversity of our desires really kept pace with the complexity, the growing complexity and diversity of our cultures. it, it, it became not, it became so. a more target-rich environment, right? Because we always had Absolute, this sexual targeting, absolutely. and suddenly it wasn't just like another hairy ape with us in a cave, but another hairy ape in an apartment building in a condo with tons of possessions and other markers.
1: Absolutely. And, in fact, the Internet now is breaking these cues down into tinier and tinier and more and more specific things. The Internet allows us to identify, you know, with... Great minuteness, exactly something specific that we're wired to turn on. So maybe you like redheaded dwarfs, for example, or something as specific okay, as is that. that
3: a, is it, that a good thing ultimately, or a bad thing? Are we going to have, uh, you know, folks in hundred years who are turned on by some tiny slice of uh, of humanity, or some kind of inanimate object uh, that you know they're, they're, they're the sec- the part of the brain that you know selects sexual targets it, it has latched onto you know, there's not a tiny red-headed dwarf out there for everybody who's interested in tiny red-headed dwarves. Are we going to be, a, you know, a world full of people who are f- sexually frustrated all the time? Because online we can find whatever goddamn, you know, tiny little thing turns us on. But in the real world of other human beings, until the sex bots come along, you can't find whatever you want by just by snapping your fingers.
1: That's an excellent question. And the question is, is our ability to meet people that that match our needs going to keep up with these specific needs. But what is interesting, you say maybe there's not a red-headed dwarf out there, but of course the uh, advance of all these social networking sites and you know, much greater communication through the Internet allows us to identify uh, more easily people that might be uh, good matches for us. So it might be the case that even though we're getting more and more specific with our interests, that it's becoming easier and easier to ma- meet people that have those specific interests. That may or may not be true, but that's certainly uh, a possibility.
3: I've always said to not- I've always said to people that we should be grateful for the internet because it skimmed the shit fetishes off the dating pond. Uh, right off the top, they're all like self-selecting and sorting on the internet, and they're not just out there springing that on people anymore.
1: Absolutely, that's uh, absolutely true. Uh, it's just much easier to it's much easier to find uh, your own niche and find other people that uh, are going to meet your niche.
3: But, you, but you, would you predict, based on what you said earlier, that you know, as, as our society continues to become more complex and more diverse, that there's going to be you know, brand new fetishists being born every day, all the time, brand new things to fetishize? Uh, and, and at what point does our, you know, the way our brain works, the way this software works, uh, really castrate us all?
1: Well, th- what's important to keep in mind, too, is that uh, we're talking about sexual arousal and not relationships. So when it comes to what we want in a relationship, that's even more complicated. That's also much more bound up in uh, emotional connection, uh, in our psychological needs. So talking about what turns us on sexually may or may not have anything to do with uh, what we're looking for in, in a partner, especially with, when it comes to men. Men are much, men are much a- more able to partition what turns them on sexually from what turns them on uh, in terms of what, what they're looking for in a partner. So uh, just because we might be more getting more and more specific in our sexual needs does not mean that we 're going to have more trouble uh, forming relationships. In fact, perhaps it might even be easier to form healthy relationships. But then the question of where does sex come into that and that is a very complicated, difficult question for everyone it 's never easy to figure out how to have a good sexual relationship with someone. Uh, as well as a, a healthy emotional connection with someone. That's, that's always a challenge. It, it always takes maturity and thoughtfulness and, and openness, and that's something that uh, everybody has to work out for themselves.
3: Ogi Agass, the book is A Billion Wicked Thoughts, What the World's Largest Experiment Reveals About Human Desire. Thanks for joining us.
1: It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much.
3: And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question, or comment for a future show. Give us a buzz. If you want to make sure your comment gets out there for people to see, you can always go to thestranger.com slash lovecast and leave your comments uh, written form on the bottom of every week's show. two zero six two zero one two seven two zero. Me and the tech savvy at-risk youth, we'll be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening.